You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith, Matt Dye. We've had one... Heck of a week. Woo. Traveling all over Kansas. Woo. Not really. Traveled to one farm in Kansas. Uh, hunted pretty hard right before that as well. It's that time of the year. I think every hunter knows. Some of you guys may be listening to this podcast as you're traveling to the stand or traveling back from your hunting trip. And we were doing the same thing this week. And it has been just a, a classic first week of November. It has been. It has been an exciting time. It has been a time with little sleep, a lot of preparation, a lot of midday work, um, a lot of observing, and a lot of just time in the stand. And it and it uh, we've got a story, a heck of a story. Um, Multiple with all stories. That. Multiple. We really do. Um, but man, it it was just a, a fun time in Kansas, one that we will not be forgetting um, anytime soon, hopefully ever, because it was. A kind of a, an, an epic hunt, and um, we're going to share that story today. Now, not only are we going to share that story, but we're going to talk about the strategy that went into that story, um, And because I, I think it's a great learning story. It's a story to kind of talk about our approach on all on all properties we ever go to and the, and the approach that we try to advise to our clients with Land and Legacy um, our podcast friends, listeners are, uh, and I think we briefly talked about it, but in case you aren't aware, if you're, if you're a, uh, Southern Missouri person listening to this podcast, be aware that we just started a QDMA branch for the Wright and Douglas counties. And this is kind of a, this whole story is, is a big part about what we're going to try and teach with the branch to where we can help our fellow neighbors and landowners and hunters out in that area with our with our branch. Mm-hmm. So that's what this story is all about. Sharing some knowledge. And I, I, I thought today someone texted me and, and about the hunt or whatever, and I went back and just kept thinking about it. I couldn't get it out of my mind because it was just one of those things that you it came together so perfectly. You, you draw things up, uh, you know, outside of season in your head of how you think a, a hunt could go, or, or just, you know, as you're, as you're making the plans, the preparations, um, you try and envision what may happen somewhere. Um, and that, it just played out. It played out so fantastically for an early November hunt. Um, it was incredible. But 
What about the Sportsman's Nation page, Adam? How about that? Man, does that look good or what? Looks fantastic. Fantastic. I got a. I hope every single Johnson. person that's listened to this it has gone and checked it out. Um, it's it's something new. Yeah. It's something exciting and it's something uh, that I think could be a huge benefit to everyone. And spend some time on that Land Legacy page. It's looking sharp. They did a great job, for but. sure. Um, I and I and not only I'll just give major props to all the guys out there um, on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network. Um, there's a lot of other great content, mm-hmm. not only that we're giving out, but the Transition Wild, the Do It Yourself Sportsman, Dan O over there mm-hmm. on the Nine Finger Chronicles. All those podcasts are awesome. I hope uh, we encourage you to go check them out as well. Um, there's a lot of great stuff on there that you can learn from and, and enjoy. So share that page too, that web that website. <clears throat> it's fresh, it's new, it's got an awesome look, really easy to use, and um, hopefully just get some more buzz going on it. For sure. So to give a brief kind of rundown um, as we set the stage for this strategy and story of this Kansas hunt, um, keep in mind this is this whole time this is this is our approach with every property and and this Kansas property is very unique, especially Extremely, for us. Yeah. Um now you you look at the Prairie Hollow property, my family farm, um it, pretty much mostly timber. Um it's the exact opposite in Kansas. It's mostly crop ground with a river that runs through it that has the river runs through it. Yes. A fantastic movie. But the river runs through it, and there's a lot of trees along that river, and that's pretty much where a majority of the timber is. There's a couple, there's a big slough or a big elbow, oxbow in the river that kind of causes a, a an old slough that has a lot of a the lot river of trees used around. to run through it, and then yeah. it just bored right through that oxbow, and and anyhow that plays a huge dynamic uh, on the property itself, and um, it, you know I when I think of this farm. I go back to last week's podcast when we talked about everything changes. And I think that's really similar to you know a lot of places in crop ground, crop country. Um, especially this property, it's got, even though it's primarily crop fields, it has the majority of the timber up and down that river for many miles. Um, so as soon as those crops get harvested, it's kind of like an influx of, of deer, a lot of activity come to this property because it has the most cover around for for long ways away which is somewhat sad speaking from a habitat standpoint <laughs> yeah because it really doesn't have ideal cover it, it when it all said and done and again this is a, this is at least so you know the amount of work that can be put into it is is limited but correct when we think of ideal cover and and other areas of kansas that have that cover um you know this is lacking in that. And, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about that when we talk about what does we're hiding and, and seeking shelter in later on um, that we observe. But all in all, this farm, as great as it is, can be much better. Drastically better. Yeah. Um, Which is scary to think about. Exactly. Last year, we found a, a buck there um, that had perished. that was over 190 inches. We've seen some good deer. This year we have a couple that are over over 160. Um, there's been some really really good deer killed there in past years. Neighbors have killed some great um, deer, and so it's it's a really great area. But to think that we could manage it and improve the habitat to where 
let's just say if, if the guy that we hunt with, Richard Lee, he loves to grow big deer, and that's what he wants to focus on is big deer. So if we're trying to manage for that, one of the biggest things is letting deer get older. How we can do that is keep them from getting shot when they're younger. And <laughs> it's Kansas. So a three-and-a-half-year-old could already be over 150, and he's getting shot. Oh, easy. And, easy. And so if we manage to save those deer and manage to get them a little older we can grow some giants but it's all about getting the habitat where it needs to be and exactly providing the cover there on that on that property that we have control of and you know right next door there's an outfitter and right next door to that there's other other folks that hunt and hunt very hard during um the month of november and then after we leave there's gun hunters on the property too that you know may not have the same um, goals as we do, but however, what we can control is what happens within the boundaries of that property and providing the best cover for deer to be able to seek and use. And if you have the best cover in the neighborhood, the best deer, the most deer will use and prefer those areas. For sure. So we're looking at mostly open ground with a lot of timber. Um, goals, we want to, we want to grow big deer. We're always going to shoot some does. That's kind of one of the requirements to shoot does. Matt, actually. Everyone must harvest harvest a doe. Mm-hmm. Basically, come back and hunt the next year. There's part of it. Yep. Which, I like that rule. I, 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 really I, I kind of think it would be cool as an earn-a-buck. That's how MDC used to do it on mm-hmm. a lot of conservation areas. And that you heard all kinds of terrible stories where the guys would see giants before they'd kill the doe. But it's kinda, <laughs> yeah. it made guys a little more... Uh, quick on the trigger to shoot a doe sure um and and out in that country as you i mean you sit on one of the crop fields in the main crop field in the afternoon and you see a pile of does so from all definitely need to uh (laughs) harvest does no doubt no doubt so that's kind of a brief rundown of the property um big river limited cover lots of crop matt you got anything else you want to add to that a lot, of, a lot of pinch points that I think as an aerial, if you were just to look at this property, you would say, I'm hunting there, I'm hunting here, I'm hunting here, and I'm hunting, oh my gosh, I'm hunting here. Just because a lot of times they jump out at you because of the river system, the limited cover, and the, the field edges. Um, so it's really easy to say yes, 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 and yes on these stand locations. And, and this is part of what we're talking about today is that even though those are so so incredibly good pinches and funnels if we look at the entire property and the way that deer move throughout it and and we look at it as a whole instead of a a very small concentrated area we will learn and we have over a couple years of hunting it that it is best that we stay out of that Mm -hmm. and that's a tough lesson to learn but the lesson that this week we saw pay off and pay off big yep we're gonna dive into that longer and, and, and you know when you think about a property, if you're if you're hearing this property described and you're like, oh, that's similar to what I have, um, and this is true with most properties, but especially on a property like this where there is very limited areas that are considered cover or it could be designated sanctuary, and when you have those areas, if you don't pay attention to them or don't protect them and, and basically cradle them as in, okay, we need to be very cautious when we're moving into these areas. We need to play it. We need to be having our A game on. We're not sending our scent through that. We're not walking through it in the dark. That's how you can push a lot of deer to the neighbor. Mm-hmm. If if we get on that river and we start walking down the river right where the deer are bedding or that's the only cover and we start pushing deer out of it, that's really e- easy to send them to the neighbor. 
And, and knowing that, you know, I, I guess if someone were to listen to, to the podcast, especially this one, just right off the bat, they'd say, oh, well, you're not an aggressive hunter. I would, I would su- suggest to say, hold on and wait, because there's a time to strike and there's a time to not. And what, again, this whole hunt was, was we, we, we had to let things heat up and we had to observe. And then when we went in to where we knew we had to be, it happened. And I think that that lesson on a year to year basis, because again, like last week we talked about everything changes, things change from year to year. And especially on this property too, because there's a different crop rotation and we see deer movement adjusted because of that. But we have, we have to be smart in our approach, treat certain areas as sanctuary, as safety zones, hunt around them, hunt deer and transition to and from them, observe and go in when we need to go in, when and, the wind is And right. I think a great example of that is think about like this time of year when the rut is full, full-fledged, deer running everywhere, we see deer end up in strange places. I just saw, I saw a, a Facebook post that showed a big buck. And he was like standing up next to a glass like he was trying to go into a bank. Mm, what yeah. had happened was he was chasing a doe. She veered she veered right and he slipped and went left and ended up right next to this glass. And it's like, he's smarter than that. Yeah. But guess what? He was lovesick. Oh. He was yeah. he was basically doing what his hormones were telling him to do, and all of a sudden he he kind of lost track of where he was or what was going on, and that's where he ended up. And the same is true with deer during the rut. You know, early in our hunt, we were watching does walk through the timber and, and and mature deer walk through the timber and they were very alert, very attentive, very smart, basically. They, they had their wits about them still. Yes. They very much knew what was going on. But as bucks started chasing, does started being, uh, I think we saw a couple does that were receptive. Um, once we started seeing that, they kind of started losing their wits about them. Those were For running sure around, yeah. and they were more concerned about getting away from the buck and hiding than maybe drifting downwind and running through our running through downwind and not really even knowing, not even having a clue we were in their neighborhood. Yep. But if they would have slowed down and just walked through it, we would have probably got busted. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for a good buck. We had several good bucks cruising that were like, they shouldn't, they shouldn't do that on a normal. But you can get away with that sort of thing when they're when the rut's going on. Yeah, exactly. And again, it, it took two days for us to get to a point where we said, let's let's do something about this. We're finally at a stage. We've finally seen what we need to see to be able to make a move and get aggressive and get to that point. Again, there's yeah. a time to be aggressive and a time to not be aggressive. Until you see what you need to see, it's always better to stay safer then then take that extra leap and and go into an area when you're when you're not as educated on what the deer are doing at that point. And I really want to define how we mean aggressive and less aggressive mm-hmm. um as we get to it. Um but day 1, let's we've kind of let's go ahead and start day 1 what we saw. Day 1, we hunted on the very north end of this property. There's a large peninsula that comes out into the field, what would you say, five, six acre kind of peninsula, kind of skinny um, portion of timber that juts out in, into the field. And it's a great place to catch deer as they work back through the timber into a larger portion of um, woods on the, on the property as that they're using for cover. Anyhow, we sat up there, had a great wind, and right off the bat, we had a buck chase. Young well, buck. Well, we had 
we were actually getting set up and had a deer walk by the stand during, I mean, it wasn't even shooting hours yet, but then, right. We had a two and a half year old. We estimate him at, um, come and push a doe by us and he was nudging. He wasn't full on chasing, but he was interested and gave her a little bit of room, scent checked her, pushed her around and they, and another buck showed up another two and a half year old buck pushing a different doe. Yep. Um, he was a little more aggressive than that other one, but later on the morning, mid morning or so, we had a group of does come by and we didn't see a buck. They didn't seem like they were on edge as they were coming through. They were not on edge. They were very attentive. They were. And we didn't see any other bucks follow in behind them. They were just making their way through the timber like they would day in, day out. Um, so again, like, like you said, that tells us that these deer, the temperature that we're, that we're getting, that the reading based on their behavior, the rut, the pre-rut, we're just in the first couple stages of, of what, you know, what's occurring. There, there's interest from young bucks, but does aren't having it. They're not in heat. It's not full chasing. Mm-hmm. And then that leads us to the afternoon hunt where we went down further south on the property. Um, and we'd actually done a kind of a midday um, stand change because Richard and Chad had hunted that stand the day prior and based on movement they saw they're like well we need to be a little bit closer to that field edge and and there's a corner right there in the field um, and deer kind of skirt around the corner they don't come out to the field edge that much it's kind of the way of lay of the land another great case of of the lay of the land and using that to your advantage exactly exactly we're talking a crop field probably I don't even know 300 acres or Easy. 200 yeah. acres, somewhere in there, a humongous crop field. And it juts out into a, basically a pinch of timber. And so instead of going across a wide open field, deer often cut, especially during daylight, that corner. They, they cut the corner. And within that timber from years ago, there was another creek system that kind of, and, and some dirt work that I think the farmers had done many, many years ago. Um, that mound of dirt up and it really pinches them against that field edge but they don't cut across the field and we moved the stand so we were in the action and mm-hmm. uh, and we hunted it on a south wind um, and the trail was five yards away and we, honestly the, the plan was for a south wind and it would blow over top of the deer um and, and really, it, it kind of worked out if perfect. If they came from that direction. Sure. Um, and, and that basically what happened is we had a group of does come in. Actually, well, we, we had a, it, a doe, a single doe, one doe early that came in, and she was she was just really on edge, too, because she kind of snuck up on us, you know, behind that uh, uh, tree. Don't throw me under the bus. <laughs> she snuck up on, on us. On she us, was on but edge. I couldn't see that way, so... <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah. whatever there's a there's a treetop and she came on the other, other side of that and but she was definitely on, on edge as she made her way to the field and um then she just went out to the field and started feeding yeah and then a second group of does came by mm-hmm. um, and that's when you harvested your doe yep, yep um and then we saw some more does come out in the field but we could see out in that huge crop field and mm-hmm. there was a lot of does pouring in there and head down eating yes. and there was a few young bucks that came out and would bump them around and push them around but it wasn't like full-fledged run gun chasing deer running everywhere no and 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 a lot of does with fawns too yes you know it ha- they hadn't been pursued so much in days prior that they kind of gotten busted up and split and you know when a lot of times you'll see those fawns first thing by themselves yes. You're like oh here come wait that's a fawn yep that, that's or just that- a buttonhead by himself 
and that's kind of a good indicator. That's a good indicator that mom's getting chased or, you know, they kind of been busted up, right? And, and what we were seeing were still those those family groups together. Um, so another another good indicator that night. Um, then that leads to the, the second day when you hunted down on the river. Down on the river, yep, in a van. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> down no. on the river. Yeah, in a van down by the river. <laughs> um, we hunted on the river, and we saw basically the same thing we saw the day before. Young bucks chasing, young mm-hmm. bucks sparring. We saw an actual neat, little bit older deer, um, not so much a year and a half, but a little more two and a half, maybe one three and a half year old, um, kind of cutting across a slough. Yeah. Um, but we had a couple of those young bucks spar in front of us for 20 minutes, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, okay. Live decoys. I kind of like this, guys. Yeah. Keep your thing going. And that was basically the gist of that morning was – basically building on what we'd already confirmed the day before but typical, but it's typical starting movement. to get there a little bit more yes, yes. starting yeah. to see a little more fighting starting to see a few more um, bucks cruising and that kind of there was two ways to look at it of okay maybe the temperature starting to heat up or maybe we're getting a little bit more into the action mm-hmm. and to me it was both it was the, the it was we're getting were a little closer yeah we, we've switched and instead of being on the north side or on the north side of the timber we were on the south side close to the river and the river to me is the heartbeat of that property it absolutely is we see year in and year out deer as they work from those crop fields they go back not just to the timber but honestly to about the river's edge to bed and that's where the majority of sign is and that's what we see year in and year out so we adjusted our stand placements during this summer to not be as intrusive and hunt that river. And yeah. that morning was, we basically panned out just like we thought it would. Yeah. Deer were moving from the crop fields back to the river. And then as they hit the river edge, they started to chase and nudge and move. And I think a, a key, one thing that why the river is so great or why so many deer bed close to the river is when you look at it from a, from a habitat standpoint, you look at the main timber that they're walking through, it's pretty close canopy. There's not a whole lot growing. Mm-hmm. Once you get closer to the river, there's more sunlight coming in from the south, and there's a lot more early succession, a lot more stuff the growing along grasses, that river. Taller, taller grasses, grasses, reeds in there. Yes. And, and one other thing that we see along that river is there's basically on the other side of the river, there's another basically large crop field and open kind of plains um, pasture area, native pasture. Um, and I think you get a lot of those strong winds and that river system is the first time that wind hits trees, and a lot of trees are broken. The tops of them are broken off. You've got a lot of um, blowed over trees in that area, and that's where they're bedding in, mm-hmm. right there along the along the river's edge. And again, we've we've picked up on that and and moved our stands to be able to um, hunt that effectively. Very true. And let think let them just do what they normally do instead of getting in the center of all of it and saying, well. I guess today my wind's blowing this way, and we're just going to let it do its thing. N- now we've got the approach to be able to hunt it and address um, deer activity as, as it should be happening. And yeah. observe. Read, read the deer's temperature. And, and, and so the whole time we're seeing this, we're going, okay, let's still play it safe. Mm-hmm. Because we haven't seen what we need to see yet to move into some of the best spots. Correct. And... That kind of set us up for that night. We were like, okay, let's go to another spot that has not been hunted yet that's a little closer to the bedding, and let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. As soon as we got in, we started seeing deer move. Right away. And I, I, Honestly, they, they were better right there. Yeah. 60 yards from the stand. We got in. 
quiet and you're just fawn stood up and we thought it was the lone fawn then it ended up being a doe and a fawn Mm -hmm. which told us the same thing before yep they're still in family groups um but then right before dark we had two young bucks move through who were definitely cruising they were and it was kind of like okay Uh, and those are both two and a half year old bucks um and it was kind of that all right we're starting to see more cruising instead of just young bucks who were just running around like chicken with a head cut off they're actually starting to really cruise and 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 we're starting to kind of see we did see another really nice deer that night kind of the the only the body it was definitely the biggest body deer we'd seen up to that point who was on the move and it was kind of like okay they were they were walking with purpose yes it, you know as they especially in, a, in an area like that um you know a lot of times they meander and they just kind of take their time getting out to the crop fields whatever but these deer were they were on a mission like they had a place to go they had ground to cover, and that's what they were doing. So, basically, as as we're as we've been hunting, it's a constant observation of what are the deer at status wise when it comes to pre rut activity. Where are they at? And and that's how we based those first two mornings um, our stand selection. You know, the wind obviously trumps that, but where do we want to be in relation to what the deer are doing? Yeah, and that led into day three, which was a wind change. I think it changed almost every single day. It did. It really and did. And it was day three, you're up to bat again, and it was a east wind. Yep. And that led us to the redneck soft-sided blind closer, close to the river, but not right on the river as we were the day before. It and was the closest we could get to the river based on an east wind. Yeah. So And so we went in, it's probably 100 yards from the river. Yeah. And it was, the wind was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're still playing it. We're not aggressive, but we're a little bit more aggressive than the day before because we had to be because, because we of really didn't have, because <laughs> yeah. of the wind. And, and, and when we say a little bit more aggressive, we mean that we've bumped off the river slightly. And, and the reason we're a little more, more aggressive is because there was a chance that deer would be traveling parallel with the river and cut behind us downwind. But we do so much for our scent control that it was like, even if that happens, yeah. I think we're pretty good. I think we'll be all right. Yeah. But, and that's why you always have to be on your very best with your Dot scent your control. your eyes, cross your T's every single day of the season. What, what drives me nuts is whenever we start getting into this hunting day and night or morning, afternoon, you, you've taken off. You've taken off for rutcation. As, I've as seen as I've that seen. going around a lot. Rutcation. And you've taken off for rutcation, <laughs> and you're like day three. You're wore out, but you you start letting your guard down. You're like ah, you get lazy. I'm oh. gonna wear my camo and camp and fry some bacon and and you get your don't forget you, the eggs. Yeah, and your sense you're you've just lost your scent control, and and that just kills me. And so we're still doing that. We know that we're gonna move in, hunt the blind. There's a good, there's not a, I I say that there's a good chance we're going to see a lot of deer, but there's a slight Mm -hmm. chance something might cut behind us. But we know through all the scent control that we do, there's a chance that we're going to get away with it. And we moved in and that's when. Well, real, real quick, before we, we expose what we saw this, this stand or this, excuse me, this blind is in relation to a field we call hourglass. It's kind of shaped like an hourglass. As it goes out into one of the large crop fields, the we, crop field, the two to three hundred that we talked about earlier. Yes. There's a little corner in the southwest, or a little southwest corner where five it acres next down and then expands back out into like a five acre field. So we had a stand originally um, in years past 
in that neck or where that bottleneck is in that hourglass. We had a stand in that timber. The east side. The east side of that timber. And for two years we've hunted it. That has been the most consistent place to be able to see shooter bucks. We, We went in there, which was a long ways off the river, into this head of timber that was an incredible pinch point. I mean, fantastic. That was one of those places, again, when you look at that aerial, you're like, I am hunting there. I don't care. I'm going to kill a great deer there. However, what we began to realize or speculate is that it's, once I go all the way in there, I kind of have to take a route that takes me through some decent cover early in the morning or late at night when I cross the river. And where does my where where does my wind go that is safe when I hunt that place? Every direction you could have had deer come in to that area. And it w- it just came down to the point of saying, I might... We're doing I might, more harm than good. I might kill one here, but I know if I let that go, I can kill them elsewhere too and have more consistent movement throughout... During daylight. A, a lar- yeah, throughout a larger portion of the farm. And honestly, I was a little heartbroken that we had to take that stand down, but it was 100% the right move. Mm-hmm. this summer that we did You that. might kill one deer, but you're going to alert five others. You're right. Or we, the whole herd that's around there. And, yeah. And it was just not worth it. It, was, it wasn't worth it in the end. We were able to now hunt multiple stands um, in and around the area and let deer do their thing. And, we, and again, we've, we've learned from years past that to hunt the fringe, hunt the river. And those same deer that were going to move through that, that pinch in the hourglass where that stand originally was, We'll have another shot them in in other areas that are a lot less intrusive. To me, it's a classic case of if you if we hunt the old stand, you might have one shot at that good deer, but he may slip downwind, and you just gave that deer the <laughs> kiss of death, and you're never going to see him again. Yep. He may get him on camera, but he's all nocturnal. Mm-hmm. We hunt the edges like we are now, and we may see that deer three hunts before we ever get him killed. Yep. But we can keep... Th- the difference is... When we go to the old stand, they knew we were hunting them. Mm-hmm. The way we're hunting now, they don't know we're in their world. Yeah. And that's the difference. Exactly. And that's how you always want to be. And that's the difference between being aggressive and too aggressive. And that's the, also the difference of if you hunt a property from the start of season to the end of season, you better have this strategy in place in your stand um, placements because you can educate deer first week of season and they're on edge the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Even even though we hunt this property two weeks out of the year, maybe, this is still our approach because, one, we know it works, and we're, we, we're going to do too much damage if, if we try it another way. That's just how sensitive the deer are. And, yeah, I know that it's the rut. Anything can happen. Anything can happen in any any portion of the that farm. We, we talked about like We could kill a deer anywhere on this farm. But that doesn't mean we have, or we should, go into any place we want to. Don't play stupid. Yeah. Play it smart. And to me, just moving that stand, pulling that stand. Sure, good deer have been seen from that stand or shot at from that stand. But you're going to kill a lot more and see a lot more hunting it the way we're doing it now. Yes. Now. Just because you're putting some thought into it and not alerting them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I told this to a guy today, um, a listener, that a lot of damage is done in the cover of darkness that we don't even know. Oh, 
Yeah. When you're walking into a stand in the dark, you're you like, it's see. dark. They can't see me. I'm going to sneak in. Yeah, right. Don't Come fool on. yourself. Come on. And a, and a huge, another part is the damage that's done under the cover of darkness walking out. That, to me, is the biggest one because... Drives, where, that one kills me. Where do you want to hunt in the evenings? A destination food source, typically. Typically. Mornings tend to be around a bedding area. But when you walk out or you try to leave a stand that's close to the destination where all the deer are coming to, what what happens when, when half the deer don't move as much that night? They're most likely en route to that destination food source, and then that's when you choose to walk out? Ugh. Or they're standing 50 yards from your stand, and you're like, well, I got to go. Wife's calling, or yeah. I got I got things I got to do at 8 o'clock, and yeah. you're climbed down and start walking, and they blow out of there. Like you that don't, That's deer. not a good approach. Okay. Change it. Back to back to that third morning's hunt. We got to the blind, and well, did, we had to say all that because it, that's it's, it's important. So third morning, we're aggressive, but we're not too aggressive. Yes, and and we're not even we're a little bit more tuned up than we were the last two days, but we're not. We're going to get more aggressive as the day progresses, mm-hmm. and yes. you're going to find out. Yes. So I would say forty five minutes or so after light comes up. Um, the, the first deer come into view and they didn't come into the little section, tiny portion of the field that we were sitting over that we had pictures of deer coming through and, and a shooter in days prior. Um, they came out to the larger five acre um, portion of the field as a group of four does or so um, and a good buck behind him. He was all busted up on one side and we were kind of watching and, and looking. Then all of a sudden another buck steps out. And, and at this point, the first buck, we were still debating on whether we would shoot him or not because yes. he had such a huge body. Massive body. And even though he was busted up, it was still like, that deer is still a trophy. Oh, yeah. And if he comes over here, we might, we'll probably shoot him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I had my bows, so I'm like, Matt, you better shoot him. There's another <laughs> buck coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, th- we're like, I think we'll shoot that deer. And out steps the other one, and we're like, we definitely shoot that deer. Yep. And... And at this point, now it's like, okay, these are older age class deer. This is what we've been waiting on seeing. We haven't seen a, that three and four year old deer yet. No. And finally. Finally. And they start nudging some does. And it's kind of that we've seen it progress. Young bucks start chasing. Does aren't don't want anything about to do with it, and they just run off. Does now are hanging around a little close, and they're, when they get bumped, they only run five foot or five mm-hmm. yards. And in its older class, it's a little bit older age class bucks. And so it's kind of progressing. It's like temperatures turned up. We're dialing up the dial and it's starting to get good. It's kind of like watching an oven preheat and you're like, oh, I just need to get to that 400. And you're like, where am I at? Where am I at? It's just climbing, climbing, climbing. You're steady watching it. And shortly after that, they start nudging around. And then around the corner, here comes another buck and another great buck. And it's like, well, dead gum, we'd shoot him too. And he's, I don't. Talk, talking to the one that comes around the through the hourglass, the actual pinch, and he's a, a mainframe 10 out past his ears, great, great frame on him. 140 class deer. Easy, easy. And then out steps another buck, and this is a buck that we had on camera and were and recognized right away as what we call Grace Creek 10, and he's probably a 160-inch deer, if if not, if he's he's a little shy of that, but still an incredible buck. And we're sitting here watching and just in awe of what we're seeing and saying, okay, take this into account, take this into account. 
We're, we're now an hour after, after daylight, and we've got bucks coming into a field going the opposite way of, of a typical travel pattern from food to bedding. They're kind of coming the opposite way, checking does, bumping them, and they're kind of bristling up against each other too. They don't come out and full-on fight, but they're saying, hey, I'm here. They're bowing up at each other. I'm here too. Yeah. I'm here too. And then, and even when we had that one doe kind of skirt out and those two bucks went full-on sprint yeah. after her yeah. or like foot race mm-hmm. with each other trying to get to her, yeah. even though she didn't want anything to do like, with them. Hey, it's man, she's like, mine. Hey, man. Wow, they're, waste, they're using a lot of energy mm-hmm. with these does. And okay, yep, ding, 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 oven's at 400. Yeah. And, and then at one point... All the deer kind of moved out, and then all of a sudden we see another doe pop out from the east side of the field. She comes out to the field, and one of these other bucks right behind her too. And at that point, we're like, man, this is this is great. This is what we want to be seeing. The progression is happening. Um, the field is empty. And then it's like, okay, we know there's a lot of deer right here in the area. Time to, time to rattle. And we talked about this two podcasts ago, when to rattle, when not to rattle. If we had if we had rattled when those bucks were in the field, the view that they had into our area, they could have just stretched their neck, looked up over top a little bit of the taller grass, and seen there's nothing there. There's nothing there, but I a- got a doe right here. I'm just gonna stick tight right here. Yep. But it was the decision to wait until okay, we can't see them. They can't see us. We assume they've kind of gone the separate ways. Let's see what these horns can do. Rattled. Set them down. That was ten minutes, you think? Maybe probably ten minutes. And and yeah. and these deer, this deer specifically, this was the Grace Creek ten, was probably four, three, four hundred yards away when we last saw him, going in an opposite direction, and ten minutes later, boom, he's at forty yards and staring. And this is a small little opening, and he comes to the edge of the opening, looking hardcore at the blind. And not because of, of movement, but because he came because he knew where the sound of those rattling antlers were coming from, and he came to investigate. And he actually came from kind of the northeast direction. He had wind at his back. He had the disadvantage, and he was on edge and was not confident and stepping out much further past. He came, he came to 35. He was in the opening. But he would. He did not like it. He didn't stay around long. I think that's the classic example exa- to me. The phrase is, "Oh, I know it like the back of my hand." We make that phrase yeah, all the time. Yeah. A deer makes her living in the in that area, and so when I think, in my opinion, when I hear when a deer hears something, he automatically starts to pinpoint. That's where that's at. It's just like a turkey goblin too, yeah. or, or when you're a hen calling and you shut up, and he comes thirty minutes later. He's like, "I knew where you were the whole time, girl." Yeah. And I think that's what that deer, he said, okay, they're in that opening. He popped out, and there's nothing in that opening. No. And unfortunately, to me, you could have rattled, and he came right in thinking it was back on the river. But he came in thinking, okay, it's in that opening. And when he popped out, it was like, there's nobody here. What's going on? What? What's up? Whoop, whoop, and he's already on alert. And there's that horizontal window, and I was... Ready to draw. You could kind of see more of him just the way the I angle of the blind. I could see the beam, yeah. Right. When I say, yeah, when you say beam, but um, it was just a small portion. We're trying to communicate in the blind. Is he going to take that extra step or two to get to a scrape to check? And he didn't. He wheeled around and started heading back the direction. That's when I was able to get to full draw. He stopped and paused for maybe two seconds at 35 yards and 
I was in the process of settling pins, and um, he got out of there. He got out of there. He's and, like, and yeah, unfortunately, enough, enough is enough. Yeah, this is not the place for me right now. And um, he made his way back the same way he came, and it's like, oh, missed opportunity. I was kind of like kicking myself. Maybe I could have settled pins quicker. I knew the distance and just kind of. But it's always best to not rush the shot. I was like, okay, well, then we started talking about what the heck just happened and transpired from the first time those does came to that five-acre field. And mm-hmm. really, what's our next move? This is what we've been waiting to see. It's time It's even, time to, and, to diagnose this. And even before we saw that buck or before he came into the rattling, it was like, when we get done hunting today, we need to go look at the edge. Let's walk another 60 yards forward and yes. see what's in that field. Why all those? Because we knew those does were feeding on something. Yes. And and so after the morning progressed, we're like, all right, let's go up there. And there was one tree. You would say tree. Might as well have been <laughs> one tree at the base, but turned into eight trees because yeah. it was a humongous cottonwood. If Massive. you've ever been out west, you know what we're talking about. Those things are all along river bottoms out there. So we walk up there and look out in the field, and there's a lot of the beans have been harvested, but there's portions of the field where the combine didn't go all the way down. But really browsed heavy along the edge. And I think he, the farmer just didn't even make the, the first 10 yards or so off the field edge. He didn't. He just kind of left them standing. It's like, ah. So there's a I lot. See, basically, I there's see. beans here to eat. Yeah. So this is a good food source. Does yep. are still hitting the food source, even though bucks are just now starting to patrol and cruise and bump and then we started going okay how do we get here we had looked at that tree this summer saying know what on a map this looks like a great place but we had other plans we're like well we can be a little more a little more reserved and put up a blind right back here um this stand is going to be a bear to get into so let's try the ground blind approach and then again not just that but Let's try the ground blind approach, and let's plant a food plot right here. Right, right, right. And, and let's make this opening. the food source. Right. Unfortunately, we didn't get as enough rain out there, so that food source didn't amount to anything. So we were back to the normal of they cut through the big hourglass field. Mm-hmm. They don't cut through here because there's not a food source here. Yes. And so once that occurred, it was like, okay, this blind's more of an observation unless they're still cruising this side. I think you could still kill deer out of the out of the blind. Yeah. Yeah, but if you want to get, if you want to increase your chances, we got to get to that edge. And and that was the destination place right there. And from what we had seen, yeah, yeah you know, bucks are you know, the the temperatures increasing, but we still know those aren't receptive, or the majority of them aren't. And this is a food source, so those are going to come here. Bucks will follow, and and we saw that obviously the bucks followed that morning. We saw the direction that they, the majority of them went to, which was to our east. We had an east-northeast wind that night. So there's no reason to believe that they wouldn't come back and, and scent check that field, check the field for does that come in the evening. And it was like, okay, this is the tree. This is the only tree we have. Time to get in it. Let's figure out a way we can get into it. Yep. And this goes to the hang and hunt situation. Um, for us, the cottonwood, the only option we can do screw in steps and use a bunch of them (laughs) yeah and monkey our way into this tree or we can take this ladder stand and lean it up somewhere ratchet it down and throw a lock-on stand above it where one of the stems of this huge tree gets a little straighter right 
and unfortunately, the the everybody knows there's not a light ladder stand on the market. So <laughs> yeah. this means we're going to have to drive in middle of the day to hang this ladder stand, or we carry two stands, screw in steps. And us, it was for us, it was just like which one's quicker. I really think driving in mm-hmm. with the ladder stand that's our quickest option. And, and the the two, the driving in midday, you know, it's a farm. You know, there there are tractors in this place. There's trucks in this place. Quite often, that to me, it's it's a neutral point. It's a it's a mute point. It's not a danger necessarily. It was just a fact of oh, farmers in checking stuff again. Not yeah. a big deal. But we were able to put that stand together, put it in the truck, get in there midday, and do what we needed to do and be very quiet doing it, as, as quiet as we could. But then the other thing of the hanging hunt is, okay, deer are in here. They're using this field. Going we right can, back to the Grace Creek buck. Knows it like the back of their hand. Exactly. Knows, knows this place inside and out. There's scrapes really close by, and but I still need to shoot but I don't want to disturb it too much that I've really put deer on edge as they're entering this field. So that next approach, that next thought process is, okay, stands up. What can I cut? But you know what? I'm going to do as little as possible, uh, basically enough to get by. I want shooting lanes. I have to have shooting lanes. So there'd no, be no point, but I don't want to just completely say, give me that a big open view and drop a bunch of limbs. I did minimal work. And from there, you open up yourself the opportunity to have deer still work through there like they normally would. To me, you you look at the balance and and you say, okay, you can cut everything you need to cut, but you're probably going to alert a lot of deer to where you're not going to see that many. Sure. The first deer is going to come in and go, whoa, and out of there and you mess up the whole evening. Mm -hmm. Or you cut nothing and and nothing goes unchanged. Deer come out and you can't shoot them. Or you find the equal ground and you trim the absolute tree limbs you have to cut to shoot, but not so much that you're going to alert the deer. Exactly, exactly. And that was the approach we took. And as a result of that, what what happened to one of the first does as we we got into the stand? Not as we got into the stand, but as the first one came out, what happened? She walked right up to those gray dogwoods. Right along the perfect trail. As soon as she hit those gray dogwoods that we had cut, Mm -hmm. she's like... I mean, she put, I, I still remember the one that I cut and I put my hand just above the cut and, you know, cut just below my hand so I could push it over and she didn't inspect the cut. She went and put her nose where my hand was, put it right there. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was thinking the whole time the stand as the deer's 15 yards away saying, please don't blow, please don't blow. Yeah. Just relax. Stay calm though. It's fine. And sure enough. She, I'm just she glad you didn't need up, a bunch of greasy french fries that yeah, day. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. But she ended up actually um, browsing on a couple of the, the tender shoots there, twigs, at the end of those gray dog was like, as soon as she started nibbling on those, I was like, oh, we're good. Yeah. We're good. And that's a podcast in itself. Oh, yeah. That we, really is. We create it. We, those deer are browsing what they can, what they can reach on those gray dogwoods. We cut a couple of them. They saw it was within reach. They started browsing oh, on it. Go right that's to That's it. For you guys that are, what can I do right now? I've filled my tags or whatever. That's a, that's something you can do to feed your deer. Oh, yeah. Late winter, you're like, oh, my deer is starving. What can I do? Cut some of those under, those understory trees that have buds on them. 
little li- little stems on perfect. them. They're going to eat them. And, and, and do yourself a favor, just because you might be skeptical of it, put up a trail camera and watch what happens. Or there's snow on the ground, watch the tracks. Yeah. And so you cut that, you cut that, the doe came up, sniffed, sniffed, sniffed. That was, to me, a classic. We could have cut everything, and that doe could have been like, whoa, what is going on? Something. Walked all around, and she actually took a few steps, came towards the base of the stand. Yes. To me, I think if she would have came to the base of the stand, looked up, it might have been, it, the night could have been a whole well, lot different. And, and that's the other thing is, since I had harvested a doe the my first night two days ago, you had your bow with you. And it was if if a doe comes in and she gets super edgy right here on the field, we're we're gonna just take the shot and 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 move on, go about the business because we don't want them sit running out to the middle of the field and just stomping and. <laughs> it was yeah. if she's really on edge, Adam, pass me the camera and do what you need to do. Yeah. Um. Luckily, she calmed back down, started browsing, and made her way out into the field. And in that process, we had deer start just pouring into that field, all directions. Except? Downwind. Downwind. It was perfect. It worked out perfect. Because we knew we knew where most a majority of those deer they went. They went either to the northwest of that field or the south or southeast. Yes. So we knew coming in from the west edge, there probably wasn't any deer going to be over there. Yep. And that's exactly how it happened. We got in the stand. They started coming from the south, southeast, north northwest and as deer started pouring in it was a classic old school hunting video for me oh does oh, poured in does and fawns poured in here came the yearling bucks they started nudging those does around acting like big shots here came the two and a half year old he started bowing up pushing the year and a half old out of the field or to the edge of the field and said watch me i'll show you how and it's grunting. done he'll start grunting snort wheezing chasing those does around and then here came a three-year-old yeah and it was like well, he's a good deer. I don't think he's a shooter. I rem- I remember as we were watching this all happen, and we were super on edge because now we're on the edge of this field. Uh, we're seeing 20-plus deer in this field. There's a lot of eyeballs. We're, we've got deer that come you know, on a trail 15 yards from us a couple times throughout the evening, and it's like, don't move, don't move. We couldn't – we got to a point where it was so nerve-wracking. We were just – frozen in the stand could not move but we managed at one point to turn around and say it's just a matter of time yep it, it was the perfect storm after all we had seen throughout the the past couple of days of hunting that morning how deer were working in it was just a matter of time as the bucks got older and older as the the night went on i think a good one, one is going to show i think one time in that conversation we had a three-year-old chasing, a bunch mm-hmm. of younger bucks chasing, does were poured in. And I looked at you and I said, we still have an hour left. Yeah. It's yeah. going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, and, and that was just confidence in in the approach, honestly. And, and my mind at, at that time didn't go to it. But as I thought about it later on, it's like, this has been, honestly, a, um, a couple of years in the progress of, of how we've gotten to this point uh, on this property specifically of learning it, addressing it the right way, hunting it the right way, hunting it at the right times. Cause we've come gone the season where, you know, we've come later on. We haven't even gotten to Kansas by that hunt that time. Um, or so, we've came in and in most years we've came in 
and we went straight to the east side of that field, mm-hmm. or we walked straight into the heart of the property. Yeah. And and by that point, I feel like most of the deer are aware that there's a there's a dominant predator there. Hey, hunters are back. And and at that Boys point, now we're starting town. to play. They're starting to play defense and yeah. move at dark, and move at different areas, and move to core areas of their home range, and and then it's all sorts of messed up. But this time, at this point, what I was thinking when we were watching all those deer is they don't even, they don't even know. No, we are in their neighborhood. It was no. basically like we were in a zoo, and they were doing their thing, and we're just watching them through the glass. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you want. You don't want them to be aware of your presence. And and to me, that's what changed this. That's that's what made this hunt happen. We adapted to the hunt. Exactly. Exactly. And and it was it was okay, the three and a half year old he's in the field now. He's trying to rule the roost. He's trying to, to make his claim. He's bristling up to two and a half year olds. And then to our northwest we see well, we saw a couple of does just kinda posture up looking um oh yeah that that other that was a seven pointer whatever it's it came big out seven the that big was seven. probably a shooter yeah came out pushed he pushed a couple does out yep and it was like okay if he gets in range it's go yep. time yep and as he kind of worked his way out that's when you and i both at the same time were like whoa these, these hey, does hey there's here. a there, there's another doe out here she's um, looking she's looking they're looking back into that corner of those plums. Um, keep an eye. And then out step this buck. <laughs> you and, know what my and, first reaction is when he steps out? What is that? Yeah. What I saw was <laughs> I looked at him and I'm like, he's who? Dink? Yeah. And we I, talk I about didn't... it all the time in Kansas. It's like that's the common word. Ah, a couple of dinks. Ah, a yeah. couple of dinks. Which are year and a half old bucks, just no answer. Or antlers, even two and a half year olds that aren't much. It's just, ah, oh, he's a dink. He's a dink. Yeah, he does. Or, or in elk country, I think they call them raghorns or yeah. you know, raghorns. Uh, we call them dinks. Old oh, dinkers. Uh, and so it was like, what? And then he turned and I saw him and I told you, triple beam buck, triple beam buck. Yeah. You're going to shoot that deer. I, when you look at the deer, all I could see was huge body and really heavy horns. But it, it looked like someone had taken a chainsaw across just above his main beams and just cut off all the tines when he first stepped out before I got binos on him. And I was like, what, what is that? And then, like you said, as soon as he turned, did you put binos up or did you get the camera on? I put binos You put binos up, up before I got him up. And you said triple beam buck, and then it's like, game on. We had seen this buck on trail camera, and and Richard Lee had gone out and taken a youth hunter during September and got footage of this deer 20 yards from him and just couldn't make it happen with the youth hunter. But had this deer on camera um, in a hunting situation earlier in the season and on trail camera, and it was just one of those ones that was just a phenomenal deer. And, And triple beam on his right side, um, his, his left side was just massive on his beams, not much for time length, but just an awesome, awesome, extremely unique deer. And he's now a hundred yards away. And it's like, okay, this is what we came for. He's here or, you know, a, a for sure shooters here in the field. And I still remember those first couple steps he took as he came out to the field. It was guess who's guess who's here guys. Cause he just bowed up bristled up 
and just kind of stiff leg it all the way across to the center of that field. Just like, yep, you guys have been waiting for me to get here and I'm here. And it was like, wow. Okay. You, you are the top dog in the field now. Um, and then from there he commenced to start pushing as, those. As every buck did when he came in, he started checking all the does. Yep. He went and to so even the young group, bucks would group, bounce boom. around. And then as these two bucks came in, it was like they started moving around the field. Mm-hmm. And about that time, that's when we had a couple of, they were like doe fawns and a button buck close to us. Yeah. And it was like, this is, this is going to happen. Yeah. And, and so to me, it was like, ha, it's just a matter of time before he comes down here and checks out these doe fawns. And, yep. and there was at that point oh. a doe just to our right that was staring a stinking hole in us. She was in, she was still in the timber. And what we, what we kind of suspected was that, she might have been a doe that had come out to the field earlier, but she had gotten nudged and pushed down the field. And she's like, I'm not going to go back out there, just get nudged. So she was 30 yards off the field edge looking hardcore into the field. And if she had wanted to, she could have looked up and seen us. But it was just a matter of don't move, don't move, don't move. We can't move. She's looking this way. We've got deer out in the field. And bucks. it was so hard to keep track of, one, where the shooters were, where the doe groups were because it was just a constant just evolution that night in the field of, okay, he's over here. There's one here. Where'd he come from? Where'd he go? And finally that buck, he actually went out of sight for us for a decent little while. Um, a little nerve wracking. There's just so much other stuff to look at. And then I would say eight minutes later from the corner, we couldn't quite see here. He comes back out kind of nudging, um, a three and a half year old and he gets out to the center of the field and he, he lowers his head, pushes that buck away. And when he looks up, he kind of looks our direction and he, he takes a few steps towards those, those fawns that were, they were both all three, I guess, were within 50 yards of, of our setup. And he looks up and, and kind of commits to that direction. just starts walking, walking. I remember whispering, Adam, Adam, here he comes, here he comes. And you couldn't move though, like you you were just. I had hit record on the camera, and it was just like, I hope he's in frame, but this doe is still staring. And I the mean, whole time you start taking range, I'm like, don't move. This doe's still looking at us. And there was a uh, there was a six inch hackberry to just to the right of this tree that we were in, and I I used that tree to basically cover me to be able to take a couple ranges if he moved left off the field edge, so I get kind of that that range, that 20, 30, 40 yard range out there. Um, just to confirm it. And he starts coming this way. He nudges these fawns. They kind of squirt out in each direction. And he doesn't pursue them, but comes to work one of those scrapes that we talked about earlier. Works the first one. That's at like 25 yards or so. Turns. And at one point, he thought he was going to enter the timber. So then I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, where are the holes? Where are the holes? He angles back out to the field, comes to the scrape that's closest to us, 18 yards away. And remember, this is... The edge is thick um, gray dogwood, so it's really tough to, to get a shot through there. And he's facing us, and his neck's up, head's up, his antlers are raking. and he paws the ground out right there, cleans out the scrape, and, and takes a couple steps out into the field. And as soon as he started to make that move, I was already locked in. My release was locked in. I started to draw, <laughs> and unfortunately, the wind just died and it was like okay hey everyone matt's drawing 
And I got like three quarters of the way through the draw cycle and he doesn't look up at us, but he just kind of looks up and like, something's up. And I, I had to basically take that extra little um, surge of energy, get that draw all the way back. And I couldn't even anchor. I was so nervous to move, period. And and finally, he kind of calmed back down, started to turn back towards the, the edge of the timber. I got settled, got anchored, and he stops right on the edge of the field. And you say, good. And there's a small hole through the gray dogwoods that just lines up perfect for his vitals, about the size of a softball or so. And he's under 20 yards, so it's a flat shooting at that point. And I just settled the pin, whap, and it goes right behind the shoulder. He takes off running across the field, and he's basically his back end is dropping as he's trying to go across the field, really struggling, gets to the edge of the, the, the timber, and we hear a huge crash. And then it's like, oh my gosh, we cannot believe that just happened. And it came together. Everything came together. The week came together. The hunt came together. He just, he did everything that you would want in a pre-hunt, in a pre-rut situation. We saw that day, that night transpire right there in the field. There you have it, folks. It was the story. It was ridiculous, man. From Matt. Woo! Short stories, long die. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness you're name. not a preacher. <laughs> <laughs> man, it it just it. We still talking about it, man. It was it was one of those. If you could, if you wanted to see everything in a pre-rut situation, it happened that night. We were snort wheezing. We didn't even talk about snort wheezing in the field. Bucks were grunting. Oh, it was incredible. It Check was a scrapes. classic case of. We'd, we'd watched all that develop the three days prior, two days prior, and now we got to see it develop in two hours. Yes. And it was like the temperature now, now deer are doing what they're supposed to do at the beginning of November. We'd been waiting for this egg to crack, and finally it happened right there in front of us. Five-acre field. You were I, able to shoot I scrambled triple eggs. bean buck, and that all, it all unfolded great. And, uh, I, I, to me, it was just a classic, just a classic November hunt, oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was all about being aggressive but not too aggressive. Correct. Moving in slowly, not diving into the deep end as soon as you get to the property. We started out in the shallow end and felt the temperature as we moved to the deep end. That's how it happened, and that's the that's the best approach you can have in hunting a hunting a property. No doubt, and especially in in a time frame. Uh, of that you know activity is going to only increase. You know it's only going to get better. So let's take the approach that that basically models and resembles that same level of activity. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and that's that's exactly what this story hopefully educates people on is is the whole process that we use in how to hunt smart but successfully. Mm-hmm. At the same time. Now... Um, Continuing that, as all podcasts are a lot of habitat stuff, there was something else we learned, and, and it's a strategy with habitat improvement. Um, and, the, and the coming days, we started hunting along that river. We talked about the river and how we have to hunt the river on north winds, northwest winds. Um, we still saw some, co- some continued chasing. Mm-hmm. We saw some other really good deer. Um, but as we hunted the river, you talked about the wind slamming in from the, on the south winds and a lot of treetops down, a lot of limbs down. Yeah. And as the rut picks up, now 
during Matt's hunt, we saw a lot of does going to the food source. They were hanging out in the food source. They were focused on feeding. But as the rut continues to heat up, there's going to be a lot more chasing, a lot more boogering, um, bucks boogering those does and bumping them around to where the does start to seek cover to get away from these bucks. They're tired of getting every, every move they make. They're, they're getting pestered. They're getting pushed. They're getting bumped. And when you start to see that, it, it should tell you, okay, does are going to start, they're not going to start feeding in the wide open fields like they have been. They're going to start doing other things. Now, how can we improve the habitat or how can we hunt, use that strategy to hunt successfully? That knowledge that's gained. I mean, it's going to happen every year. And as we move to the river, we know that there's a lot more early secession. There's a lot more treetops. There's a lot more cover and brambles. And as we moved in to hunt those spots, what did we see? We saw does get pushed in by bucks, and now they start trying to hide. We saw it in the past years. They go in. They bed down in these treetops. They bed down next to these huge cottonwoods. They're trying to hide. They And when we say bed down in the treetops, we mean in the treetops. They will bury themselves in that treetop and lay low. We've had it happen 50 yards from, <clears throat> from our stand before and watch bucks circle downwind, and then go and put their nose in that treetop to push these does out and then chase them. It's that that cover aspect of the rut is so incredibly important. So if, if, you're, if you have a property that doesn't have that great cover, that's what you're missing out on. You can, you're missing out on, on providing that habitat for deer. And I mean, it's a hunting strategy at this time of the year as well. And you're missing out on the great rut hunts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have all those blowdowns in a chunk of timber north of a river. And if we hunt on, we bump up just off the hump, off the banks of the river, on a north wind, a buck can cruise that whole river complex and scent check a lot of those treetops and smell what's in those treetops. And so if there is a doe hiding, he may not be able to see her, but if the wind's right, he plays it right, he can smell her. And then he can weave his way in and figure out exactly where she's at, bump her up, start chasing again. And that's kind of the process that they're using. Now, how can we build upon that? How can we improve that? How can we increase that to make the hunting better for future years? Have more does hiding in those t- in that timber rather than a few does. Mm-hmm. It's obvious to me. Let's do some timber stand improvement, or let's just let's just get in there and cut some of these trees that don't have any value to the landowner, and open up that canopy, let more early succession grow while. When we cut these trees, we're providing more cover on the ground with the treetop that we just cut. It's it's twofold, or the benefit, the result of that is early early successional growth because of the sunlight, and then the treetop, and and not just to do it right now the way nature has done it, it's been pretty random, um, because the wind blows the the weakest trees over, and boom, there goes that top on the ground. Then fifty yards away, there's another one, and boom, there goes that one in high wind storm or an ice storm, but. If we go in and we do it in a in an organized fashion, in a concentrated area, and we say, okay, within this acre, all the mid-story unvaluable trees are getting cut and laid over, boom, boom, boom. Now we have a, a location that is highly desirable for does to go to and highly desirable for bucks to visit often during the rut. By and by visiting... They're going to visit, because we're hunting on north wind, they're going to visit it on the south side Correct. of those cuttings. So and where's that, our tree stand? Bingo, the south side of those cuttings, because the wind's in favor of us, but the wind's in favor for the buck. 
And that, that you, if you can find those situations where you are, you're winning and a buck is winning, then you have only increased your opportunity to harvest them. Like it is picture perfect. You, you saying that reminded me of a show I never watched, but I, I see the memes and it's like, you get a buck, oh, you yeah. get a buck. Everybody I think gets that was a Oprah. buck. It was Oprah. Okay. That's why I yeah. said I... You never watched Oprah, dude? No, I did not. Huh. So, because um, I had a life, man. <laughs> I, th- I figured you were an I was Oprah doing, guy. I was doing a habitat management stuff. So, um, and to me, that's just exactly what we need to do. We're going to go in. Some of these in this area, we're going to cut the hackberries and the mulberries. Um, and we're going to leave the walnuts, the cottonwoods. We're going to leave these trees growing. Um, and we're going to improve the habitat as well as improve the hunting. Oh, and it, and and... The, the whole idea of, of it is, okay, quality quality cover, but in a concentrated area that you can get to and hunt, period, done. And this is that's the time of year to do it, when they're seeking it, seeking the cover, and the bucks, as a result, are seeking the does. It's, it's, it's not a game of, of um, if you have this habitat laid out in a way, the, the proper way. It's not a game. The rut isn't as uh, as much of a guessing game. It's a well. I know that they're gonna at least someone's coming to check this area today. Some buck is gonna be cruising through here. It might not be my shooter today, but at some point, if I put some time in, a good deer is going to show up downwind of that little bedding area. And if you stay out of that area, you've created as a sanctuary, and there's security there. And you get the does very comfortable there. They're going to bed there a lot throughout the oh, year yeah. anyway, including the bucks. Definitely. And now, whenever shots start firing, pressure starts happening, they're going to seek the best cover they know. Period. And if you've stayed out of that area, that's it anyway. Yep. And and let, let's say we've got we've got a great transition area in between. Let's say we don't even hunt that bedding area, but we hunt a transition that we can get to in and out of very easily, safely. And there's a one of these bedding areas on one side of the transition area and then on the other where are the bucks going to use to get from one to the other they're going to walk right by the stand right by that stand you're connecting the dots basically exactly you're making it you're making it easy for a buck to find the does and that's pretty much the whole process of this podcast is habitat improvement connected with hunting strategy and you put those two together and you can have a dynamite property. Dynamite anywhere. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be in Kansas. You don't have to be in Missouri. You can be in Vermont. You can be in Georgia or Michigan, and have that happen. It just takes the right layout or and Oregon. The right I don't know if you said Oregon. I didn't say Oregon. This is my uh, talking about today. I know we're probably over an hour now, but I'm going to go ahead and say. Because I was at the Wonders of Wildlife today, mm-hmm. the Wonders of Wildlife Museum and Aquarium at Bass Pro Shops in Springfield, Missouri, and I was going through the Hall of Horns or something like that, bulls and bulls and bucks, I think is what they call it. It's this whole hall in this museum that's got all kinds of mounts. And I was I was pointing out to my wife, I was like, look, Iowa, Iowa, Illinois, or Ohio, Iowa, Iowa Kansas. Missouri, 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 and the, and the counties were all like mm-hmm. crop country. And then all of a sudden, this giant pops out and it says, Oregon, state record. Boom, like, baby. Represent. What? Oregon? <laughs> and and so, yeah, even in Oregon, you can grow some giant deer, I'm sure. There we go. So, But, yeah, go check out that museum if you're in town. It is unbelievable is what it is. Um, and I was in shock, and there was huge deer 
Um, and it's very conservation minded. It's very motivational for me um, to go and see. So you got anything else to add in this I, podcast? I, I just, I hope that the story of, of, to, of the hunt this week gets people thinking about their hunting approach, even though it's the rut, you've got to stick to an approach that works for that property and, and, and be mindful of it. Read the temperature and go in and execute. Have the strategy and stick to it. That's all I got to say. Trust the system. That's, That's what right. it is. Yeah. Trust the system. Um, trust the system of habitat management and how it can improve your property but then trust in the system of how it's going to help your hunting. And oh, that's what we're all about. The video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, there was there was a guy in the tree behind Matt that filmed it all. Yeah. And did uh, a fantastic stinking job. That I mean, it was... I'm, I'm pumped to see it. So, to see the video, at some point tomorrow... Or hopefully. What, what's what's Tomorrow or the coming days. Today is the 6th, so yes. hopefully on November 7th or 8th, you're going to see the video get released. Of yeah. this hunt unfold. We hope you check it out. It'll be on our website and on our YouTube channel and on Facebook. Yep. So with that being said, time to edit. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> Peace out, guys. All right. Catch you next time. Safe hunting. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there. We're answering the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.